Hey, welcome to Life Hurts, God Heals. I'm one of your hosts, Kim Ward. And I'm your other host, Kurt Flagel. On this episode, we continue with the second part of Abu Shaneb's story, in which he explains how God moved him from where he was in California to the Middle East as a worker to those who don't know the love of God. His obedience to God created painful experiences that he will explain as well as sharing how God helped him navigate the difficult and painful experiences along the way. If you are in a place where you've obeyed God and you are suffering for it, this one's for you. So let's continue with part two of Abu's story. And I just realized that there's just so much more to life that God cares about uh, than I hadn't even realized. And it was hard, too. I mean, there was days when I would sit in the lunchroom by myself and cry to God uh, for the sake of these guys' souls because of how sad it was to me that they didn't care about Jesus. But still, it was a really good time for me. It was a really good and needed thing. So I'm really glad that God put me there uh, for that season. And also through that season, I was still involved with that same campus ministry. I was still a student volunteer, even though I wasn't a student anymore, because uh, the whole group of guys that had gone through with me graduated and moved on and left, and I was still there. And there wasn't any students who, who took their places. And so the group got really tiny. And so there was a couple of guys who were really like freshmen who were really young and really new in the faith. And there was nobody there that could lead their Bible study. So the staff members asked me to, to lead the Bible study if I wanted to. So I still still leading that same Bible study and uh, still discipling a couple of guys and still helping with my home church, teaching high school youth group. And I started to express my desire to my uh, elders about going overseas. And they and they said, well, we'll start thinking about it and working on it for you and see what we can do. And through the connections that, that they had was how I ended up uh, serving in the Middle East. At that point, I didn't really have a biblical understanding of what supporting a worker looked like or why people should even do that. I was just convinced that it would be better if I just support myself. And so I saved my own money from my job and then told myself I would use that to get me there to the Middle East. And then once I got there, I would find work again as a welder or something and uh, support myself that way. I never really had a plan of like how that would happen or I didn't have a job scoped out or anything like that. I knew that God wanted me to be there. And so I told God, basically, if you want me to stay there, you got to find a way for me to stay there. And, you know, he did. Basically, they sent me out and uh, my home church offered to supply me with a monthly amount of a few hundred dollars, but that was it. Yeah. So I just got on a plane and went. God took care of the rest. I mean, he really did. I mean, I didn't have much of a plan. I had two contacts that were connected to my sending church. That was it. He said he took care of the rest. Yeah. What did that look like for God to take care of that? It looked like God connected me to the right people at the right moments to get me where right where he wanted me to be. And then also providing the, the revelation to prove to me that he wants me to be there. The country that I ended up serving in, God showed me that he wanted me to be there through a vision. So the vision was a confirmation of an invitation that I'd gotten from other workers to come there. And so I got the invitation first, and I was already willing to join them just off of that, hearing what they were doing in the country they were in. I was like, wow, that's amazing. I didn't know anything like that was going on there. And so I was like, yes, I'm in. You know, if I can come, I'll come. And then God showed me that this is from him through that vision that he showed me in prayer. What was the vision like? Well, the vision was me walking through an open door that was surrounded by flames. And I walked through it into sand dunes. And I knew that where I was standing when I walked through the door was the country that God was calling me to. Was it what you expected it to be? 
No, not at all. <laughs> you know, I, I was ignorant of what was going on in the Middle East as far as any presence of believers or anything like that and any work that was being done there by them or anything. And especially in this particular country, I didn't know anything about it. Uh, I was so surprised to find a vibrant community of believers there. You know, I came there knowing one guy and he introduced me to a whole community. And then that community knew other communities and they were all foreigners. So this is the, the main thing is that, you know, these underground communities of believers were all people who had come there from other countries. We call them expatriates uh, who were living there long term and working. Some of them were there intentionally as workers. Actually, the vast majority of them were just believers who had come from other countries to work there. But it was incredible. God had gathered all of these believers into this place and you wouldn't even know about it. When I told some of my friends that I was going there, they're like, no, you're going to die. Like, they'll just kill you as soon as you get off the plane. And I get there and it's just completely the opposite. I mean, I get greeted with smiles and hugs and warm hellos and invitations to come over for dinner from everybody I meet. Every concept I had before of the Middle East was completely shattered in a few days, you know. So your expectations that there would be no believers there was shattered your yep. expectation that people there would be hostile was shattered. Yep. What other expectations that were broken while you were there? I came there expecting that I could work as a welder. And I quickly found out that Americans didn't get hired to work as welders there. They hired people from other nations who would work for way cheaper, along with a lot less safety training, which was really sad to see. So I wasn't sure how I was going to stay there because I kind of counted on getting a job when I, when I got there. The job that I ended up getting was was one that I never even thought of. I ended up getting a job teaching people with uh, special needs. And I ended up getting trained and certified and everything for that job while I was there during all the lockdowns in 2020. Now, your goal was to go over there and be a witness to tell people about Jesus. Not just tell people about Jesus, but show the love of Jesus. How did that manifest in your day-to-day -day life, in your work, in, in your play? It was really pretty amazingly straightforward as far as work went. It was kind of a, a similar situation to when I was working with all those welders who weren't believers. Just being there and being in Christ, in the Holy Spirit, it makes you such a different person from your average joke that you stand out like a sore thumb. I would come into work at the beginning of the week happy and smiling and because I just spent a whole day before that in wonderful fellowship with my brothers and sisters and I was encouraged and the Lord was doing good things in my heart and giving me joy and then you know others would come in cursing the day that they were born because it was the first day of the week and they had to go to work and it's the same same kind of scenario as I had when I was working here I was thinking when you were talking about being in that workplace earlier that you were working with a bunch of people who hated God and yeah. and hated you for sharing about God or seemed to hate you in some ways. Yeah. I was thinking, hmm, this sounds like God knows what he's doing and preparing you for what was coming. Yeah, literally the exact same thing all over again. And so the conversations would come up very naturally because they would naturally ask me, are you a Muslim? What do you think about Islam? What do you think about God? How do you live? And I was very open and honest. I would say, you know, I, I'm a Christian. I follow Christ. And, you know, I spend my weekends worshiping and fellowshipping with other believers. That would lead to questions and answers and back and forth. And got to share a lot of truth uh, with most of my coworkers. Or at a lunch break, you know, I'd be playing a worship song for my own enjoyment, but also on purpose, hoping they would hear it and ask me about it. Same thing with like, you know, listening to the Bible on my breaks with the volume turned up on purpose. 
trying not to be obnoxious, but trying to, you know, draw attention on purpose because I want them to know. I want them to know the the life and the forgiveness and the joy and the hope that I have in Christ. I mean, that's the whole motivation. I desperately want people to have what I have. And the joy that is in Christ is irreplaceable. Nothing compares. And so it's worth sharing with people. Also, out of work, one particular guy I met was a direct answer to prayer. I was walking on the street on a weekend and uh, just asked God, hey, Lord, bring me somebody who speaks English that I can share the gospel with. Because at that point, I didn't know Arabic. Guess what? I walk into a McDonald's and a guy walks up to me and he says, hey, you speak English? I said, yeah. He said, you want to be friends? I said, okay. <laughs> and we sit down and we spent the entire afternoon together. And guess what he wanted to talk about? He wanted to ask me all about the Bible. And uh, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Wow. And uh, as soon as he found out that I was a Christian, he had 20 questions about the Bible. And we met up probably six or seven or eight times after that. He did his absolute level best to make me into a Muslim. And I did my absolute level best to show him that the Bible is true. You know, the only hope he has is in Christ. And try to get him to see that, you know, he's broken every one of God's laws and he needs salvation. And he spoke great English. And so we were able to communicate. And that was pretty early on when I first got there. And I started taking classes and started learning Arabic and was able to communicate better later uh, with people in Arabic. But at that point, it was an amazing answer to prayer. I mean, God just, just dropped this guy in my lap. We're still friends. I mean, we, re we respect each other. Other relationships like that happened just naturally or through some other outreach efforts. Well, what's interesting, the idea of expectations keeps coming up, how you expected things to go. And my guess is, when you were preparing to go over there, you had an expectation that it might be difficult. At some level, at least in your head, things could go bad. But, you know, at the same time, from my perspective anyway, as Christ followers, we expect if we're obeying God, we may have struggles and we may have difficult moments. But even if those things happen, somehow we're going to be able to see God do something and it's all going to work out. Was that the case for you? Did you have difficulties and did they all go the way you thought they would? I mean, everything had been gloriously coming together without much planning or on my part. What changed was uh, last year, this was fall of last year, I was out with some friends at a restaurant where we were just playing some silly games and, and having a fun time. And they're, they were swapping stories and playing these these question and answer games like uh, Would You Rather and and uh, Truth or Dare. Yeah, we were playing Truth or Dare, you know, stuff like that. And they were being kind of open. And I, you know, I'd hung out with my fellow coworkers. Most of them were Muslims, but most of them were like really secular. They didn't really practice a lot of Islam. A couple of them were very serious. The ones who were really serious weren't really there at this point. We had kind of gone out together with a large group to say goodbye to one of them who was going to go over and go to school in a different country. So the night was kind of going on and, and, and people were kind of opening up and sharing more and more about their personal life, you know, and so I was like, okay, well, people are getting really relaxed and really honest. I can be a little bit more relaxed and honest too, because one of the rules that we had always been taught in all of our talk as workers was, you know, if you can help it, don't speak directly against Islam, uh, because that'll get you in trouble really fast. But, you know, I kind of let them, my guard down and, uh, and I said some things about Islam that were truthful, straight to my heart, out of concern and love for the people there with me. But I said it in a way that was a little bit brash and a little bit cavalier, just getting caught up in the atmosphere a little too much. And it shattered the atmosphere pretty quick. People were like, wow, you know, can't believe you would say something like that. There was an awkward moment and everybody moved on and it seemed everything was fine. But uh, I came back to work the next day and my boss called me in 
And he said, um, so we have a problem. Your Muslim coworkers have come to me and told me that you are a terrorist and that you hate Muslims and you hate Islam and that, that they don't want you in this company anymore. And if, if you aren't removed immediately, that they will call the police and you will be physically removed. I was like, wow, I was shocked. You know, I was totally shocked. And he said, yeah, we don't have any choice. So we have to, we have to remove you from the company immediately, uh, mostly for your own safety because of some of the threats that have been made against you. And so they kind of took down what my side of the story was real quick and then asked me to leave. And I took my stuff and left. I had to talk to some of the people who are kind of in leadership in the believing community there in the country and the worker community and ask for advice about what to do. And the consensus was you should leave immediately, leave the country, leave the region, leave the entire area. Don't come back for at least six months, just in case somebody really did go to the police and complain about you. That was gut-wrenching because my whole life was there. You know, I had left everything that I had here in the U.S. and, and gone there and all my closest friends were now there and my whole life was there. And, and they told me, leave immediately. Don't just, you know, don't dilly dally and say goodbye to all your friends. I mean, leave now, like get on the next plate you can and get out. So I followed orders. I didn't really know what to think at that point, but I followed their orders and I left and uh, haven't been back since. It was tragic. I mean, I was, I was heartbroken. The good thing that came out about it was I was able to get married to my wonderful wife, Dora the Explorer. <laughs> we're going to name her here. I was able to see that God is bringing me into a whole new season of potential service for him and his kingdom in ways that I had been asking for, but I didn't expect this to be the direction that we would go to get there. This is the interesting thing about reading scripture. When we read the trials and the struggles of people in scripture, we have an ending that's uh, right there in the story. And maybe the whole story with all the struggle and also the resolution of that particular struggle is a chapter, right? Yeah. And we have no concept of how long that person wrestled and struggled through the pain of following God and obeying what, what God said, and then being broken in the process and in the journey of obedience, being wounded, being hurt, having questions. You just said right now you're seeing some of these pieces starting to come together. How long of a process was that from the moment they were like, get out, get out now, to this moment? What were the things that you were processing? What were the questions you were asking God? How were you feeling? You know, like, what was that journey like? Yeah. Did you ever expect that this was going to be a result of your obedience to God? This result of being forced to leave the country suddenly was always a possibility. And we all knew it was always a possibility because it had happened before. You know, what I was asked to do was a preemptive self-deportation, if you will. The usual punishment uh, by the authorities of most of the countries in the region is that if you are caught doing something illegal and you're a foreigner, especially if you're a European or an American, you'll get deported immediately. If you're from other countries, you know, it might be worse than deportation. It might be jail, beatings, and then deportation. But us Americans get treated really well because uh, we have really cool embassy workers who will really follow us up and make sure we're okay. So it was a preemptive deportation. <laughs> That way you'll have less serious consequences. But honestly, it was a shock and heartbreaking to have to leave my my friends who had become like family. I mean, I, I, I think of these people as family, the believers that I fellowshiped with there. 
because we went through so many hard things, you know, living in a country like that where everything's different, you really depend on each other for a lot, a lot more than church members here in the States depend on each other because everything here is is relatively easy in your day-to-day life. There, there was a lot of interdependence uh, because every single week there was two or three people asking, okay, I've got to go to this government office and do this paperwork. How do I do it? You guys have advice. There's this guy that we need to disciple and how do we do that together? And and I'm going to move my apartment. Can you guys come help me? It was a much smaller, much more close-knit community. So leaving them in a flash like that without being able to have any sort of goodbye time was tragic. Just a shock of like, wow, what's next? I didn't have any other backup plans, you know? I was in a complete state of shock and loss, just mourning the loss of dreams and aspirations and close relationships. I guess you can call it grief. I mean, it was heartache, physical heartache over losing all of that all at once. Having to reassess a lot of unknowns, you know, just like, what's next? I have no idea. So that was tough. I mean, the first couple of weeks after that were really tough. And I was really thankful that I had a brother in Christ who invited me to come stay with him. And he lived in Europe. And so I didn't have to fly all the way back to America, you know, on an overnight ticket. He heard about what happened through the grapevine. And like I said, we were a close community. So we all talked to each other all the time. So he heard about it through somebody else who called him and told him what happened to me. He called me right up and said, hey, come over and stay with me and I'll host you in my house so you don't have to fly all the way back to the States. And we can sit and talk about it because I know people have gone through stuff like this before. And, you know, I'll give you some counsel and, and just let you chill with me for a couple of weeks. I was so thankful for that. The time I spent with him was really important, a time of, of really needed reset and healing and rest for a couple of weeks. And he also gave me some really good advice. And he was the one who told me, don't you have a fiance in Africa? And I said, yeah, I do. Yeah. So he said, why don't you go and spend some time with your fiance? Now that you're, you're free of pretty much all obligations, you have nothing in America, you have nothing in, in the Middle East, you have a little bit of money. Why don't you just go and spend some time with your fiance? And who knows, maybe you'll get married there. Now, guess what? That's what we did. Wow. I can only imagine that you had some pretty serious questions of God in those early days. Yeah. I didn't know what to ask. I mean, I was angry about how things had happened, angry at myself for misjudging the whole situation with my coworkers. But the regret got washed away. I mean, the, the Lord really graciously eroded away at the regret. And I began to see basically that like this isn't the end of the world. It gave me hope. Uh, I don't know how it came. I mean, it was just the Holy Spirit kind of holding me up because I was in a place where I was just felt like I was sitting in a dark black hole. I didn't really feel much of anything for a couple of weeks, actually, except if anybody asked me about what had happened, I just kind of shut down and didn't really want to talk about it. Mm. Was I angry at God or for a little while? I mean, there was times when I was like yelling at God in prayer, but I wasn't like angry, like bitter, like why would you do that to me kind of anger? It was more like just really frustrated at why things were happening the way they were. I wouldn't say that I had any real questions for God, except for like, what's next? Uh, Hmm. That was my biggest concern was like, I'm going back to nothing. I I don't have a job in the States. I don't want to be there. I want to be where you had me. That's all I want is to serve you where I was, because that's where I know you want me to be. And that's where my heart's passion is. I love those people. I love the land. I love the local people. I desperately, desperately want to go back and show them the love and truth that is in Christ. That's all I want. Why are you taking that away from me right now? When I, when everything was coming together so well and everything was going as planned, I think disappointment was the greatest feeling I felt. It was just so 
crushed that everything came apart so fast and and because of something so dumb in my you know in my opinion you talked about like you were in this black hole for a while is there anything else in that in this process any other practices especially spiritual practices you would say these are the things that helped me through this season of this hurt really i mean the practice of like praying with somebody else really helped me because there was days many days when i just had nothing to say to God or anybody else. I just wanted to sit and be quiet and be by myself. And I did that quite a lot. But there was times when I really felt like I needed to to talk to God, but I didn't know how. I didn't even know how to put words to what I was feeling. And so the first place I always go to is the Psalms. And praying through the Psalms has gotten me through a lot of dark and challenging times. Even when I was in the Middle East, there was a time, you know, for example, where I was counseling somebody who was suicidal just being overwhelmed with concern for this guy and not knowing how to help him and coming to God with nothing and just being like, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to ask for. And just opening the Bible and and going to Psalms because the Psalms are, a lot of them are written prayers and just pouring my heart out that way and finding the fact that what's already in there is already kind of what I wanted to express put into really great terminology and and, in a God word focus. It's not an inward focus. It's a God word focus. That helped me a lot. And also praying with my wife. We were dating long distance for a year before we got engaged. We prayed every day together. I also pray with my roommates, uh, the single guys I live with. For some reason, that community praying together would settle my heart and my mind. Because so often when I sit by myself and I try to pray, I just get so overwhelmed with other thoughts. It's really distracting. And I can't just focus on what's on my mind. What do I need to hand over to the Lord? It takes effort, but when I'm with somebody else, it just comes so much more freely and naturally. I don't know why. And so that community prayer as well really helped me a lot. Praying through the scriptures. It's not just the Psalms because there's other there's other scriptures that you can pray back to God. And it's a companion when you don't have a person right there with you. It's interesting to me what you're saying because it's really the same thing. The Psalms and other prayers in scripture are other people's prayers. And you've said this already that praying with other people has helped you. Yeah, what I was kind of trying to say is that the scriptures are kind of like that other person being there for you already. Yeah, It's basically having an outward force, you know, whether it's the person you're praying with or the scriptures themselves to pull you away from their own mess inside and spinning wheels inside of your head and get you focused on God. I don't know, for me, that's just helped me a lot to get my mind focused on the Lord is to have someone pull me out of that gears that are turning in my head. It's not shocking to me that that would be the case, because when we talk about one God, we talk about one community within God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who are constantly giving themselves fully to each other in complete sacrificial love and receiving fully and accepting each other fully in complete love and celebrating each other. And so God in his character is perfect love and perfect community. And so it's not shocking to me that in your most difficult times, prayer flowed more naturally or even supernaturally in community. Right. And prayer is a supernatural practice. It's not this dead repetition. It's this genuine communion with God. I think that's something to remember as well, um, that that genuine community is best cultivated in a community. Yes. Well, speaking of which... 
we ask the person, the person we're interviewing, we ask them to pray for the people who are listening, who may be having struggles and maybe relating to your circumstances of, hey, I'm following Jesus and a lot of bad things are happening and I'm getting hurt as I obey. I thought this was not supposed to go like this, you know? Mm -hmm. However you want to pray to wrap this up, we would love it if you would do that. Sure. I'm going to pray through a passage that I prayed through this morning with my wife uh, on the phone. It's from John chapter 5, verse 21. Uh, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. So, Lord, we thank you that you've given the authority to the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to give life to those whom he is pleased to give it. We thank you, Son, Holy Messiah, Jesus, our Savior, that you have been pleased to give us this new life. We thank you that you are entrusted with the judgment of the entire universe and that we don't have to judge our enemies ourselves. And we don't have to hold grudges or hate our enemies or burden ourselves with revenge so that we can leave all judgment in your hands, because you are a faithful judge. For the Father has has given you judgment over the universe and has proclaimed to the whole universe that you are worthy to judge the universe. And so we will all honor you, Lord, in that great last day. Uh, we will all worship you together as one community, as one family, uh, from all tribes and languages and nations of the earth. We will honor the Son just as we honor the Father, and we'll do so by the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll do so in that perfect community that you are, God of love. And we must remember, Lord, in this day and age, that whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. And so, Lord, we ask for you to empower us to go forth and warn everyone, everywhere, that they must honor the Son of God. Uh, because whoever does not honor the Son of God does not honor the Father who sent him. Help us to go forth and warn the world. Thank you, Lord, for this uh, revelation, and we thank you for your communion with us. Amen. Amen. Abu, before we go, I just I want to just add one little addendum to this, and that is you're still in the midst of seeking to get back to the Middle East. That You're still in the story. It hasn't all resolved. That's right. We've made a new plan for me to go back to the same area, hopefully, to uh, go back there without my old job with a a new support base as well. Instead of me financially supporting myself entirely by my own work there uh, in the economy of that country, I'll be mostly depending on support from churches and and individuals here in the States. My wife and I will be going back there and focusing on reaching an unreached people group that's not only unreached, but is also largely unengaged, which in worker terms means that there aren't any workers that we know of intentionally trying to reach them or at least a very, very few, as in like less than five. It's going to require a lot of study, a lot of language learning, and a lot of time, a lot of travel to get to these people and to spend time with them and to share the hope that we have in Christ with them. For all those reasons uh, and others, that's why we've changed plan, and, and the plan is for me to go back without my old profession to support me there financially. So, How can people connect with you and support you? Yeah, I think the easiest way for them to get more information about what I'm doing and to even get to talk to me would just be through my email. Uh, that's the safest way to to broadcast this. Abu underscore Sheneb at proton.me. I'll spell that for you. A-B-B-U 
underscore S-H-A-N-A-B at P-R-O-T-O-N dot M-E. Shoot me an email saying you're interested and uh, want to hear more and we'll get to talking. Well, thank you so much for coming on, telling your story, especially the difficult stuff. We really appreciate you spending the time with us. Thank you for your obedience. Even when it got difficult, we appreciate you, man. Yeah, it was it was amazing hearing your story. Thank you guys for doing what you do as well. Take care. Masalama. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Life Hurts God Heals. And before we go, please remember, from God's perspective, you are His beloved. So choose to be loved. <laughs>